So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, you guys, I know a lot of you know I'm obviously huge into real estate, and one of the areas in particular is multifamily. We've had some multifamily guys come on here before, but anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I love value-add strategies, and I love talking with people that have taken something small and had a strategy that worked that they could scale and make it big. And so today, we wanted to bring on... Andrew Campbell. And the reason is, is because of his expertise in this area. You guys are going to absolutely love this podcast, why he got started, how he got started in it and what he is doing to scale, to get to now where he's doing apartments with, you know, 200 plus doors. This is a fantastic one and one you can't miss. So with that, I'm not wasting any more time. Let's bring Andrew right in. Andrew, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great, man. Uh, can't complain. Now, we were talking here a little before we got started. You're you're from Austin, Texas, but you're currently cooped up in Florida, correct? Correct. Yeah, we are COVIDing in Florida. Yes. But born, born and raised in Austin. And do you do real estate in Florida or is it just, just vacationing? Well, was vacationing. Just va- yeah, we, we came here for a vacation uh, for spring break with the kids. We've got four little kids um, and have, you know, as everything's closed down, kind of stayed, it's felt safe and didn't want to continue traveling. So we've we've been here kind of going on eight weeks and I'm just living life. But yeah, you know, it's also back to, you know, I think what we'll talk about stuff with real estate, kind of the life by design mentality that that, that we've strived for and have kind of created the, the ability to, you know, relocate for what a, this is going on week eight. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it. Yep. So that's awesome. How old are your kids? Nine uh, is the oldest and the youngest is five months. <laughs> Congratulations. That's Thanks. awesome. That's very, very close to mine. So my oldest is, uh, she's 12 and then my youngest is two. So okay. yeah, great, great ages da- down, down through there. Uh, girl boys. Uh, girl, boy, boy, girl. So, so awesome. uh, got a good book, book into girls. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Way to go, man. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just like we planned it. Just like exactly. We planned it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how life goes. Now, yeah. if you, were you always like, did you get started in real estate before you had kids or did that start after you started your family? Uh, I started before I had kids. Uh, right. I didn't, I did not go to school for, for real estate. I What'd you go to school for? Sort of, uh, advertising. I actually got an advertising wow. degree from University of Texas and started out in, in ad agencies, kind of moved to San Francisco and Minneapolis. I spent the most time there before I moved back to Austin. Okay. That's awesome. And yeah. um, I mean, was it everything you'd ever hoped and dreamed for? Or was it one of those things where you kind of got into it and was like, oh, it's okay, but not what I wanted? Or did you like I loved it? it. Did I, you? I loved it. I mean, I think I, you know, I really wanted to do something I loved and that I was passionate about. It wasn't just going to be a job. And I yeah. thought it was, it was a lot of fun and it's a great, great industry, particularly if you're young, you know, agencies are vibrant places and full of, of young people and uh, the creativity. I'm a, I'm a, a left brain thinker, uh, yeah. you know, kind of creative thinker. And so it was a great environment. I loved it. Um, I, was, I actually didn't have any intention of going into real estate. I was, Hey, I'm going to do, advertising marketing uh that's it's a great career it i it's always surprising to me how many people you know i hear say that i i was in sales and had no 
I, you know, real estate was not going to be my thing. I was a sales guy and I thought, oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, create a sales agency and on and on and on. So then why did you, uh, why, what led you to real estate? Why'd you get started down that path? I was always interested in it, in the fact of like, you know, going on a vacation, I'd, I'd always pick up flyers, see what, you know, homes are, are worth. And I just, I had, I, I liked it. Uh, I had never flipped anything. I had never done anything other than own my own home. Um, I guess personally, I, I moved back to Austin in 2007. My dad had a, a massive stroke and I, you know, jumped on a plane, flew home and I basically never left. I and mean, he was, you know, in ICU for several months and it was a long rehab process. And in the course of that, I realized that I got to find a way to create more time really was what it was come down to, to kind of help, help be there for him and help, help my mom help take care of him some. And so in the course of that, I obviously ended up quitting my job. I kind of was in a bit of a limbo. I was, I was 27. So it was kind of a good you know moment in, in time where I'd, I'd had a career for a while, uh, but I realized I needed some, some flexibility in my time. Uh, kind of looking at real estate and I had a, a friend, a kind of family friend who had a few duplexes, uh, was also a broker and he gave me Gary Keller's real estate millionaire investor, um, kind of got me, set me down the path, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was you like, know, okay, I've get heard it. so many about, uh, so many people talk about that book, that book by, uh, Gary Keller and I've never yeah. read it. But everybody that I hear, they talk about how it was just like you said right there, like that rich dad, poor dad, like it was one of the fundamental books that really opened up a lot of people's eyes and said, yeah. Hey, this could be a great avenue where I really should start looking forward. I, I need to get that book. I got to read that one. Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely a seminal book for me kind of reading those two. Um, it was like, man, this, this, this makes a lot of sense. You think you realize pretty quickly real estate. And I tell people this all, even today doing, you know, $50 million deals, real estate's not complicated. You know, it, it's, it can be intimidating. There's a lot of zeros, but it, it's a hard asset. And whether it's a single family, a duplex or a 300 unit, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. And so I think it was easy to, that book kind of puts it in that context. You go, okay, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying and kind of the path to build wealth. And for me, it was more about the flexibility of my time and kind of you know, now sitting here in Florida, you know, what are we, 12 years later or whatever, I say it's, it's life by design, you know, and I'm, I've got the flexibility to help take care of my dad and check in on him and, you know, stay in Florida for for eight or 10 weeks and work from here. So it's, it's kind of allowed us to do that. You know, I, I like what you said there too, because I agree, real estate is simple, but it's not easy. And I, I like that because, you know, I'm, I'm from Idaho. I grew up, uh, uh, my whole family comes from farmers and everything like that. And I spent my summers working on farms and I was like, I'm okay working. That's inbreded into my family. Like, like, you know, I can, I can work every single day, 5am till 10 at night. That doesn't bother me. And so the simplicity of it, which is just, listen, if you put your, your nose to the grind, worked hard and created a system, it, it's just, it's the same thing, Right over and over again, but it's compoundable and everything. And you're right. 10 years later, all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's huge. It's, it's not necessarily the fastest, but it's the surest by far. Yep. If you hustle, you can get, you can find a way. Um, And, and it it certainly takes a lot of of hustle and and hard work to kind of build your systems and figure out what your approach is going to be. But we've been able to do that and and have kind of fell into a niche that we really, really like uh, and and our, our, our love and, are loving it. Were you, when you got started, what were your first deals that you bought? Were they, did you go straight into like major multifamily or was it just 
small uh, St- started small like duplexes and fourplexes. Uh, the very first deal I bought was a duplex that you know my my friend kind of mentor said, hey, I've, he actually owned the deal right next door to it. Um, and said, look, I'll help you out. He had the kind of contractors. We did some, you know, fixed it up a little bit. I think two months later, I bought a fourplex. Um, so I, once once I committed to going down the path, I was like, hey, let's go create some some passive income. Uh, I committed, and so I think the first year we bought a duplex and two fourplexes, and then it was just, you know, it was like I, I joke with him all the time. It was like crack, and he was my crack dealer. I was like, oh my gosh, I need more of this. How can I get more? It's fun. Again, it wasn't complicated. You see the returns come through, kind of managing the process. For me, the creative aspect of doing the value add and kind of okay, what's gonna, what's I get it was an outlet for me uh, to kind of come in and, and fix them up a little bit, and then you pull the equity out, you go buy another one. So, did you just use your own money, burst strategy, yeah. fixing them up, pulling them out, and repeating? Yeah, yeah, and you know, every time you get a bonus, I, I'd gone gone back to work in Austin. Um, and I guess part of it, part of the story is I went back to work in Austin, started to buy in the real estate, also got an MBA. And I think the combination of those two really is like, okay, a light bulb sort of gone off. Um, so yeah, I'd save up a bonus from work and I'd go, you know, it's like, how fast can I get another down payment? You know, whether I was pulling out equity, saving up money, uh, you know, my wife's job, like we were just like, okay, let's just pour money into this because we, we see the path. Um, and it was, I mean, at that point, the path was let's go keep buying fourplexes and hold them forever. Obviously we've, we've deviated from that, but uh, everybody that was, does. That was what it, it's so it. funny. I, I love the similarities. Cause it's like when you do it and it works, it's, it's almost like shocking. It's like, Holy yeah. cow, I got to do more of that. Like it, it is yeah. exactly what you said. I need more. And it's the simple nature of it, but the predictability of it and how it's like, I can actually do this. Well then why don't I do a hundred of them? Right. And yeah. I do, everybody starts on one path and then realizes, well, there's so much more and there's so much more I could do here. So how many fourplexes did you end up with? Uh, so we had about 76 doors um, that we kind of managed to, between Austin and San Antonio. And we were doing everything ourselves, even, you know, dropping off air filters every single month, you know, realizing, Hey, our, our, our air conditioning in Austin was our biggest expense. Hey, here's a new filter. Uh, so we were dropping those off, you know, placing tenants, uh, you know, managing them as best we could and, and had a list of, of, you know, handyman contractors, et cetera. Uh, and I think just got to the point, realized that's not, it, it's not scalable. You're driving all over town and, and 70 miles, you know, Austin and San Antonio, you know, several times a month just wasn't, wasn't scalable. Uh, and you start, and we also started to see that you know, in that portfolio, you had a, a couple of single families and duplexes, fourplexes, we had a little 10 unit. The bigger they were, the more efficient, the better the return. So a fourplex outperformed a duplex, the duplex outperforms a single family, started learning about the bigger deals. And well, it was obvious, you know, if you had 16 units in one building, that's going to outperform a, a four unit. And it leads you down the path of, hey, how do you go buy a bigger deal? You know, and, and at the time it was like, how do you go buy like a 60 unit deal? Um, and I think once we started down that path, you realize, well, you don't want to buy 60 unit deals. If you're going to do this, go big and you need to go get like 120 plus unit deals that are really efficient. Yeah. And so when was your first big deal? Uh, so I kind of committed to go down that path about five years ago. Um, and I think for me, the big, the big, up to that point, we had not raised any, any outside capital. And so that was, you know, how do you go do that legally? Also just from a, from a 
brand perspective? Like, how do you get somebody to write you a check for $100,000 or $200,000? So, so we took a probably a year to really study that um, and then start to, you know, it's a different group of brokers. It's a different network, different systems you got to have in place. So it was probably an 18-month process for us to really, where I felt like, okay, we could go buy a, you know, 100-plus unit uh, place. Uh, we closed on our first large deal. It was a 192-unit deal about three and a half years ago, three years ago. That's awesome. It, it, yeah. The evolution, I, I, you know, once again, I love hearing about it because we're kind of in the same place now where, you know, we're for the first time ever looking at raising funds, raising capital, um, doing bigger deals, bigger markets. Um, and two, it's not only about not being able to tackle the one deal at home, but we have four that we're working with. We want our capital to go into each. And, you know, the raises are big, but the returns are so much better. But it is, it's, a, it's a, even adding in that one complexity into your system that you have proven saying, okay, we're going to move up, but also we're going to start working with others. We're going to raise capital. We're going through the same stuff right now. How do we set it up? I'm setting up a, a holdings company called Cedar Creek Wealth, and that's going to be our investment company. Um, which we buy these large assets or develop assets, you know, and that is a big step for a lot of people. Um, I think it's a natural one. Um, I think it sounds way scarier than it is, particularly because of the lingo that, you know, we use in the investing world and some of the contracts, things like that. But once you get it down, just like starting out, I mean, how many, how many large deals that are you, you've syndicated and we're talking about syndication. Have you done since then? Eight. And how big are the deals? Average, the first one's 192 units. Uh, our largest deal is 350 units. So they're all, you know, kind of in, in between that space. So how many doors do you have right now total? It's about eight, 1,800, a little over 1,800. That is awesome. And how many years? Yeah. Uh, call it three. Jeez. See, the you know, it's the foundational principle. You built a foundation correctly. You had your experience. You built your systems. And if you do those I mean, the scalability of it is just outstanding. Now, tell me a little bit about your overall principal values when you go into investing, because it's interesting to people to understand their investing philosophy when it comes to real estate, their core principles, what they're looking for. Everybody has a little different um, way of going about it. So if you're talking to a yep. broker and the broker's like, what are you looking for and what do you like? What do you tell them? Yep. Uh, so we, we are, are at this point really focused on... Austin and San Antonio, kind of being in those core MSAs. Uh, over the last several years, we've looked at other markets. We went to Atlanta a lot, spent some time in Houston, Phoenix, but we realized we know Central Texas. Uh, we didn't have competitive advantages in, in those other markets. We also just believe, like, we're just, I'm lucky to be from Austin and have long standing relationships there. It's, it's, it's probably the best market to be investing in the country. So let's not be hard headed. Um, so I say, hey, it's, it's got to be in those core MSAs not looking you know, outside of that. We wanna be class B in better locations, class B in better assets. I think one of, the, one of the things I tell investors all the time and one of the sort of investment principles we have is not gonna lose people's money. You know, I think when we, when we made that shift and started doing that, that I'm gonna be more conservative and buy better quality deals in better locations we're not going to have the highest marketed returns, but on a risk adjusted basis, I want to be able to sit down, you know, at a restaurant, at a coffee and tell you that this, this is a good deal. And here's why, you know, we're not betting on the come that the, that the city is going to make a left turn and it's coming this way or that, 
yeah, I think that the, the most classic value add example is, hey, I'm going to buy a class C deal and I'm going to convert it into a class B deal. Um, you know, I think recognizing kind of, hey, we, we, we've been, maybe we're starting a new cycle right now, but we've been really late in the cycle. It's not the time. Most of these class C deals that could be upgraded to a class B already have been. You can go make more money if you, if you are successful, but that is a lot more risky. Uh, so we are looking for easy, you know, I'd call it simple value add deals. I'm not looking for the deal that's got, you know, 50% down units and a bunch of fires and things. Because um, we, we want something that that's a good location. It's a good asset and, and will weather a, a storm like we're currently in. Yeah. Now, this is a, a great time to be talking about the overall performance of your portfolio. What are you seeing right now in the COVID-19? How's multifamily, at least in your markets, reacting? So far, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, obviously, we're, you know, we're recording this on May 1st. So, so May is going to be a big month, uh, kind of the second month of the storm. Uh, April was largely a non-event. I mean, we, we wound up about 97% on collections uh, across our portfolio, which, is, which we feel really good about. Our occupancy has maintained. We might be off a point or two across, you know, a, a asset here or there, but we're probably, I think we're like 93 or 94 across the portfolio right now. Um, so it, that has maintained. And I think, you know, we, and we've spent a lot of time talking about it in the last month that this has been a big, this is a big moment for our personal investment thesis. Uh, but hey, we're buying quality deals, multifamily versus, you know, office or retail or some of the things that might be getting harder hit. Um, and then being focused and, and diligent on those class B deals where you feel like your your average income is, you know, $50,000, not $35,000. You've got a little bit of savings, a little bit more professional type job where, you know, we, we, we didn't have everybody that, that immediately skips on rent if they miss a single paycheck. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic and we'll obviously see how long this thing goes. But so far, uh, we, we've done pretty well. Talk to me about strategy and the overall strategy for cases like this. Does it make a difference in these type of economic cycles, this difference between getting maybe a higher class, the lower? Is there, are you seeing a performance difference when as you go down right now? I mean, obviously, in pl- like 2008, it was very apparent, right? The the lower market you got performed worse, and it, it, are you seeing that in the class, you know, C properties? Are they are they struggling a little more? Yeah, I think nationally you see some of the data that that, that shows that that you know the class A has been more insulated. You know, typically that those are probably folks that are just you know you're, I'm just working from home. I haven't lost my job. Class B you get a little bit more mixed bag, and class C that's probably the most affected. They've had the lowest collections you know nationally. I certainly think market and submarket plays a lot into that as well. Uh, you know, you look at like how's Austin going to perform in this versus say in Orlando, which has been a very strong market, attracted a lot of, of investment dollars. It's just been decimated with, you know, such travel and hospitality being crushed. Uh, you know, so they're going to be lower overall than than an Austin will. Uh, but yeah, I think you see class, and this is where we go back to that focus on quality, uh, where you know my, my, our renter base is 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 a good you know, the good income, quality, professional tenant, kind of gray collar type type renter base that has been able to so far, you know, hold up pretty well. Now, you, you said that geographically, obviously, you're very focused on because you understand the markets where you're from, the strong markets. How much of the macroeconomic play comes into the picture? 
is, I mean, you're right. You're lucky that you were in Austin, Texas, that is being fueled right now by larger economies that are having mass exodus move, right? Austin's like Boise, Idaho, right? We, we're basically being fueled by the California exodus. And it's making our areas just explode and blow up. Is that something you watch closely? And you're saying, listen, if these trends start to soften, we're going to move? Or is it? are there other core reasons outside this larger economic event that's happening? Because, you know, this happens. We see this, the North, the South, you know, it, it changes over time. Is that something you watch closely and are going to pivot to, or is it, is it more based upon the geographic comfort and the comfort and the knowledge and the network that you have? Like, I, I think it's both. Uh, I consider myself extremely fortunate to, to be from Austin. You know, there's not a whole lot of native Austinites at this point, but I, I know it super well. And that's certainly a huge factor. It's home. Uh, we've got longstanding relationships, but also, you know, economically, it's 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 been very good. And I think we certainly look at and starting out study the the, the population trends, the job growth trends, and I mean, you just look at Texas at large has fared well. The Texas Triangle, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin. There, that's projected to double in growth by 2040. I mean, it's and they're coming. Everybody's they're coming from everywhere, and plot. It's great weather. It's tax benefits. It's centrally local, central time zone. Um, so I think that is certainly a, a factor. I mean, if I grew up in Amarillo in North, you know, in Texas, I'm probably not going to be as bullish on, you know, investing in my hometown uh, as, as I, you know, and and I might not be, you know, and I think there's a lot of folks that invest out of state because they're located in, you know, they live in California, they live in the Midwest areas that, that aren't seeing the trends and the macroeconomic data, the, the inflow of, of population that, that we are seeing. So that, like if, if I'm a new investor, do you suggest going to where the deal is or do you suggest like, I know this is a hard question, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's so, a great so one. To I, ask. I'll tell you my my experience. You know, I mentioned we 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 spent a lot of time in Atlanta two and a half years ago. Kind of had a foothold in Central Texas and said, "Hey, we need to offer geographic diversity to our investors. Let's go pick another good market." Atlanta has a lot of the same trends going for it. My brother was actually living there at the time. I was like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to build relationships. We're going to meet with brokers. We're going to chase deals. And we did that and probably went six, seven, eight times. Um, and what I realized is I just, we weren't comfortable with the market because I didn't know it as well. And I, for me personally, and for our team, it was like, how do we invest in a deal out of state? There's just added complexities, you know, and I, you jump on airplanes a lot. You got a out of state, you know, you're, you got a manager you're relying on in, in a market you don't know quite as well. So I know a lot of people that invest out of state and are super successful at it. And I sort of tip my cap because I, I don't, I don't know that I could do it. Um, and, and fortunately, again, like my situation, we haven't had to, and, and I don't know that we will. I mean, if, if Austin falls off the map, will we pivot and kind of go to a new market? Probably. Yes. I mean, we're not going to just, you know, bang our head against the wall and say, Oh, this is a, ter- all of a sudden the, the economy is terrible. Let's, we can't, it's not a story you can believe in, but I think part of what we, offer is is local market expertise and say you as an investor are aren't located in Austin you live somewhere else but you can advantage of our local expertise and the fact that we can get off market deals and we just know what's happening because we're, we're and that and I think that's the point I wanted to get to right there that because that is your strategic advantage right that is your business model that is something that you can offer to investors to other people that could fuel their growth and it's so important i i had a a gal um ali on the 
the podcast and she was doing turnkey investments. She was in Southern California doing them in Atlanta where she was from. She'd been prior from there and, and moved. But um, once again, it was, she was making connections with local people. California money was moving to that market and she was then fueling that. And that was her advantage, right? So that was her pitch. It was like, listen, I came from Atlanta. This is a great market. You're in Southern California where cash flow doesn't exist or, you know, whatever. Go to this market. You can get high cash flow. Plus you're getting appreciation, which um, is actually doing very well. Um, and that's so important for investors to find their groove, their niche, whatever that may be, right? That may be, I, and I've, I know guys that, you know, I'm from Idaho. I know guys that invest in markets that no one's ever heard of. And that's their pitch to investors. Like, listen, I can buy this up for cheap, high cash flow. It's a great market. I'm from there. It's a small town, yes, but we can diversify these across small towns. It totally different strategy. It's not one that I go for, but it works really well for them. And so one of the things that I love about your story is you looked and said, listen, this is what's good for me. And then you stuck with it though. That's what's working. That's what makes... That's what creates your advantage. And lots of times people say, oh, I'm going to follow the shiny object or I'm going to, you know what I mean? And they, they can get in trouble if it leads too far. That's awesome. Now, w- talk to me about how fast, how long did it take before you quit your job? I quit my job four months before we closed on our first deal. Oh, you know, wow. I think one of the things, one of the things that has allowed us to grow and we talked about like the hard work and hustle. I know people that kind of do this part-time and again, I tip my cap, you know, I think for me, this is a, this isn't an all out assault full-time deal. And when we, when we committed, we had our portfolio of 76 doors that hey, we're going to go do larger deals, raise money, um, kind of committed at that point. All right, we're all in. And my wife was totally supportive and she was kind of pushing me down the path. Like you are so miserable working this job and managing real estate. Go, let's go. Uh, so, so we went all in and have been, you know, just focused on it, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, uh, since then. And I think that that's been a part of, of what's allowed us to grow. But I also think you were, you're talking about kind of your investor pitch and kind of what the, what's your, what's your message that gives me a lot of confidence. Like this is what I do. And, and it's all day, every day I spend thinking about it. I'm not doing this, you know, between nine and 1 AM, 9 PM and 1 AM and, and the weekends. Like this is, this is all day, every day. And we're a professional. Yeah. Exactly. I, you know, this is an interesting transition that a lot of people think about where they say, where do I get to the point that I need to make that leap? And it's, that is such a comfort level kind of thing where it's like, because leaving your job, it's, that's a big deal. Scariest thing I've ever done. Scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. But yeah. probably the best I mean, thing you've yeah, ever done. <laughs> absolutely. Look, looking back on it, absolutely wouldn't wouldn't change it for the world. It's been it's been the absolute best thing and the scariest thing. That's that's awesome. I love that. And your wife, when you made this move, she was obviously totally supportive and like encouraging you to make that move. She was she was really pushing me and just saw like you know how frustrated I was when I came home and then I you know it's like rushed to get everybody to bed so I could work till two or three a.m. and it was it was. Like this is, you are, you are miserable. And if you put all that, poured all that energy into this full time, like, let's give it, you know, I think we gave ourselves 18 months, you know, we had our portfolio that had some cash flow coming in and we knew we could sell those as we needed and generate some capital. So we had, we had built up that sort of backstop, a uh, bit of a safety net, but you know, it still took me probably six months 
longer than than you know she when once we've kind of talked about it to really like muster up the courage and be like okay i'll do it because there's never a good time to turn off your two hundred thousand dollar a year paycheck never <laughs> never yeah, and your benefits yeah you know yeah 401k on and on and on yeah uh did yeah. you now how long did it take you before you felt like comfortable like okay hey we're, we're gonna be okay um or was it you know right away you just knew uh, I think I think there's different elements of that, right? There's the financial piece, which I mean, I still have. I think when when you when you're playing without a net, you know, there's there's no net underneath you. You're you are an entrepreneur, you know, you business owner. Like there there's no fallback. Uh, I still have those sort of I don't call them doubts, uh, but you know, it's like there, you don't have that certainty. You don't necessarily know, you know, when's a deal going to come around. Um, you know, how often, how how many, how much. So there's still a little bit of that, I think, uh, that you, in the back of your mind, just as the, as the dad and provider, you want to you want to have that sort of certainty. So I still struggle with that some, uh, but I think from a, a lifestyle adjustment standpoint, you know, that first year, just being able to make some decisions, but you know, let let's let's take a trip uh, now, and not even have to ask anyone, and not not a big deal. Let's go on a weekend thing, or let let's go on Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, just these little little moments that you can't really do. Uh, when you're working for somebody else, you know, and I think giving yourself permission to do that, it probably took a good year to kind of really get comfortable as you fully transitioned and shifted into that lifestyle design and being able to, you know, architect your days and your weeks and your year kind of how you wanted it to go. Uh, that definitely took a couple months to get your mind wrapped around that. And then once you do, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, it's interesting because I think everybody understands you know, some of the aspects where you look at it and you go, being an entrepreneur takes away the ceiling, right? But it also takes away the floor. And so a lot of people want the floor to be fully there before they take the step, but that's not usually how it works. Um, It's, yeah, you kind of want a net, safety net, right? But um, when that floor goes away, now you can see down to the abyss, so to speak, right? And it even if you're moving higher, even if you have a higher income, you're still there's no floor there. It's yeah, you know, it's just you, further away. It's just further away, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. But also too, and I think that's why entrepreneurs, you got to focus on looking up. You got to be looking up and saying, "There's no ceiling. How high can I go?" Instead of looking down, because too, like I like to say, an employ uh, employment is an artificial floor. Because the employer, your employee job that you have, the employer that is paying you is the same thing. He's looking down and there's no floor. And so you're just, you're just attached to him. <laughs> so it's but more a, of taking that responsibility. How many, people, how many people have just found that out? You know, unfortunately, yes. I mean, 30 exactly. million people have just, just learned that. Like it's, it's, it's a false sense of security for it sure. It is. It is. And, you know, getting over that and, and dealing with that, it, it's, you know, I think we said this in the last last po- podcast, you know, but the phrase that, you know, there's nothing more diff- addictive than heroin in a paycheck um, because it trains you to think a certain way, which is also, though, frankly, a false way of thinking because of the industrial age and how paychecks are paid. You know, you used to have to go sell things. You have to get food from the farm. There was no floor ever. And that provided incentive that made you go out, that made you create, that made you you know, say, hey, I have to be prepared. I can't take on too much personal debt. I can't do all these things. Um, and then this paycheck creates this false sense 
of floor. So then we, you know, take on more debt than we should. We, you know, and then once that goes away and you see that there's no floor there, the reality of the situation, it's, it's really, really scary. So I, I love understanding the mentality of taking that step, you know, and hearing people talk about, you know, I made the leap and then come to the realization of, I would say the real true reality, how finance works and how you now have to employ people and how those paychecks work. And it, now when are you, you, you're now growing, obviously you've got lots of speed, what is your next steps? What is your goals? What are you trying to achieve now? We're just trying to keep our nose down. I mean, you know, I think we've got, I think one of the things we haven't talked a lot about here is, is the, the value of partnership. Um, so, you know, early on, kind of by the time I, around the time I quit my job, I'm obviously, I'm fully committed. Just going to conferences, was networking my ass off, meeting people, talking to people. And, and I ran into a guy who's now my business partner. Um, and that's been really critical. I think we talk a lot about how, you know, these large deals, it's a team sport, you know, and you've got different skill sets. You know, he's a structural engineer. He had done ground up multi-work in the past. He understood the sticks and bricks. He's detail oriented. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty picture marketing guy. We kind of joke the art and the science, you know, I'm, I'm the art and he's the science. He's underwrites the deals and, and, you know, looks at them to him. It's a spreadsheet. And to me, it's a pretty picture with oak trees and this potential. Um, so I think that's been a really, really critical piece of that. You know, but at this point, kind of our focus is, hey, make sure we do good deals. Um, you know, we are, our, our goal, we're at 1,800 units. You know, we, we'd maybe double that, you know, but we don't ever want to build a portfolio of 10,000 units because that comes with, you know, office space and overhead and, and recreating this corporate infrastructure that, frankly, we don't want to have. You know, so I think we've, it's a joke. It's a, it's a funny saying, but it's not a joke. I said, well, we need to hire an HR manager. We're done growing. You know, I think it's, it's, and we feel like we can take, we have nine, nine assets, you know, we could probably do 15 to 20 assets. Uh, you'd wind up in that 3,500 unit range um, and just kind of buy and sell a couple deals every year. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the frustrating things back to the kind of financial planning and growing a business is it, it is lumpy and you don't know COVID happens. Will we do a deal the rest of the year? I don't know. You know, you tell investors, well, when you, when, how, when's your next deal? Might be two weeks. It might be six months. Uh, we, we're not, we don't force it um, and, you know, make sure we're buying good deals. So I think that, that part is, is challenging, but it also makes us want to continue to stay lean uh, where we don't have, you know, to, have to go build a machine and then have a big layoff. And then you got to, you got to feed the beast, right? Once you've built it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you're, you don't want to build your own treadmill that you got to run on. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's so, you know, and two, this is, that's kind of the epitome of a lifestyle design, right? And as an entrepreneur, you get to pick that. You get to choose when your comfort level is. But um, I want to touch back on, on this partnership here because that is such a key element that um, we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but I cannot stress enough that business economics investing is not an individual sport. And people are so confused from media and books where they read about how the solo entrepreneur is a rock star and built all this. And we assume that it was him, right? Which that's totally not reality at all. Um, you know, just cause he was the head or leading the ship. It, it was, it was the efforts of a massive team with expertise and that's really important to realize that if you want to achieve more than a W-2, you're not doing it on your own. You need help. 
And um, being a partnership, being in a partnership can make you or break you. Um, I Same thing, I have a great partnership, right? I'm more of the sales guy, the big picture guy, right? And then I have three, uh, I have two partners. Um, and we have our, one of our partners who's a CFO is very analytical, attention to detail, right? It's all about the spreadsheet. It's, you know, we can make this work. We can't make this work. And that, those two things combined creates deal flow. It creates not messing up and not doing the wrong deals. Um, and it, it's, there's a book called Rocket Fuel. Oh, no, have you ever read Rocket Fuel? Okay. Yep. Same thing that they're talking about here, but, um, for those people that are looking at saying that, you know, I need my yin to my yang or whatever, you know, to make this work, how do you go about choose uh, a partner? Because for you, it sounds like it was fairly organic. You'd met them, you'd create a relationship. How do, what are red flags you should look for? Um, and, you know, how did you go about to say this partnership? Because that's it, a big deal. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like no, being it's, married. It's huge. And so... We it, talk about it in those terms a lot. Yeah, I mean, we, it is. We met and we sort of, hey, let, let's date. And I think the, you know, the first deal we kind of dated and, and we had separate entity structure and, you know, we, we were partners committed to that deal, but but we we were not married. Um, I think it probably took us two deals together where we we're like, okay, we've been through the fire. Uh, we, we realize how do you, how, there, there, there's mutual uh, respect, but there's also this, this, this mutual benefit. And I, I think the first thing we both recognized when we met, it's like, obviously there was that complimentary skill set. You know, I offered something he needed, which was the, the, the local market access to capital, the, the expertise to be able to turn up the deals. You know, he was a much better underwriter. He had the distinction to detail. Like we recognized that, but I think the first thing where we were both like, this guy is hustling as hard as I am. And I don't feel like it truly felt like a partnership. Uh, you know, like when I started out, I had these visions, like my brother and I were going to do this together, but man, I was working till two o'clock every night. I was like, let's go, let's jump on a call at midnight. You know, it was, I was dragging him drag. Come on, man. Like, let's, I think it's really important that it feels equitable and that, you know, even if you don't have the roles exactly identified and we certainly, you know, it took us a year to kind of, okay, before I felt like I or more than a year. Okay. I can step back on say the day-to-day asset management. We don't both need to do that because the trust was there and I knew he took he he had it. But from the very beginning, there was the this dude is hustling and he's all in as much as I am and he's he's working his ass off the same that I am. And I don't feel I feel like that piece of it, we will kind of figure out the details. So that was that was probably the first thing we both recognized uh, was just that that we weren't going to be feel like we were carrying more weight than the other guy. You know, I, I can't express this enough. It's one of those things where I know that I have in my phone a few numbers that when they call, I answer, right? And um, that includes my wife, you know, and um, but my business partners are those. If I'm out doing something and they call, I pick up the phone um, and it doesn't matter. If they say, hey, I need you here or an email, if I miss it, I call them right back. You know, I don't put it off till the next day or when I wake up or when. It, no, it, it's when and they sh- they share that. Right. It's like, no, we're we're doing this. We're in this. Hey, I need you. You got to be here. If you can't depend on those people to be there when you need them, it's just not going to work. If you got the one guy that's like, hey, I'm going to try. I'm doing this simply to travel the world. And then the other guys, it's like, well, I, I, we need to run a business. We got to build this up here. That is just asking for a recipe of just a disaster, right? Um, and so your effort and how much you're in it, 
um, goes, it's, that's such a very, very important that you're on the same path and you're going to go down that path at the same speed. I agree. That makes a huge difference. And, and knowing your endpoint, you know, like you talked about, hey, is it, do, are you trying to travel the world and I'm trying to build a, a, an empire? You know, I think we got pretty quickly on the same page about like we, we, we both we want to build and have some scale, but we're, we don't want, you know, a floor full of 50 employees. We're not trying to be 20,000 units. And, and I think we were aligned with that. So that, that also helped. We're, we're rowing in the same direction at the yes. same pace, same pace. Yeah, no, that, that is such good advice. So many people pick partners because they're friends or because of different things like that. Right. Um, and I, my partners, my family, right. But not all my family. So it's me and my dad, right. But my brothers, they didn't want to come and work with us in our company. They didn't want to join. Right. And that's fine. They shouldn't. Right. One wanted to go to the army. One went and worked in tech. It was a different speed, different things. It has to be organic. It has to be natural where me and my father work very well together. Right. Same thing. Call at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. You're picking up the phone Saturday morning. Hey, this, and it has to be natural. It has to be organic. It has to be evolved around the same principles, the work effort going, because it's a marriage. You have to be on the same page. And if you're doing it because it's your best buddy and you like to kid around, that's the wrong reason to do a partnership. That should take a lot of time to analyze that. I like your idea too. You, you dated, right? You dated before you got married. Did you were, did you guys kind of go into it like, we're going to try a deal out and if this works, we'll keep going? Or how was that first deal that you guys did together? Basically, exactly. It was like, let's try this out. You know, we, we found a deal we liked. We kind of, even before that, it said, hey, let, let's let's partner, you know, let's sort of officially go steady. If you want to use those analogies, right. All right. We're, we're now, we're now, we're not engaged, but we're going out and, and we're committed to, let's see where this goes because we had identified those similar qualities and the, the kind of mutual benefit. So let's go sort of hunt and chase deals together and, and, and see how it goes. And so that, that allowed us to kind of go through those fires some, and, and we said, Hey, we got the first deal. So we had, you know, individual brands and different, you know, ownership entities and, I think that was for our first two deals, you know, and maybe after the first deal, we sort of, Hey, let's, let's combine brands, but we didn't have any legal structure behind it. Let's just simplify everything. So it's kind of one voice for investors. And that was kind of the next step. And then we got to the point, okay, like we're married, we're getting married. Let's go create bank accounts and, and, you know, a mutual entity and all of that. Um, so it was, it was very much the wedding type. You, you date, then you get engaged and you get married, um, you know, structure. I love that. That's awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too too much of your time. You've given so much amazing things here for our listeners. But could you tell us, you know, if you were going to leave them with one thing to get started, you know, where do you start? How do you get started? You know, so many people, I think, just feel lost, particularly in that, um, in the real estate wor- world. What's your advice to people trying to get into it? Just to, just to get into it and start and stop reading the books and listening to the podcast. Do something. You know, mine was a duplex. I learned so much. I was, I was, I, my hands were sweaty when I pulled up to that place after I left the title company. Like I just bought this place and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going in to introduce myself to the, to the tenants. I didn't even meet them before. Like I didn't know to, you'll, you'll just go, if you want to go flip a house or you want to go, whatever it is you, you want to, you've been reading about, just go do it and figure out what you like about it or what you don't like about it. Maybe you just want to be a passive investor. Maybe you don't want to be active. Maybe you don't want to do a full time, but just go do it, whatever it is, just take action. 
That was such good good advice right there. And where can people find you? Somebody wants to reach out to you. You know, where where can we we send them? Yeah, uh, the company is Wildhorn Capital. Uh, we've got a website. It's it's www.wildhorncap.com. Uh, my email is Andrew at wildhorncap.com. Uh, yeah, you know, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn and such, but we're 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 pretty easy to find, and would love to. Love to talk and encourage people and share more, uh, you know, talk multifamily, whatever it is. We love, I'm a real estate junkie. I love talking real estate. And I love helping people. So happy to, happy to do it. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on here um, and sharing and wish the best of luck to you and excited to hear, you know, hear, you know, how you're doing and, and where, where you're going because uh, you're, you're killing it and it's just awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.